0: I didn't say I wanted to preach on that subject while the congregation was asleep. I'll preach as a dying man to dying men. We are getting our ideas from the Bible. We are taking the listeners for a swim in the text. We believe that only God makes a preacher, but we want to help him be more faithful. This is the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast with host, Pastor Rob Ginter.
1: What is experiential preaching and why should we seek to engage not only the head, but the hearts of our hearers? Join us in this conversation today with Dr. Joel Beakey. He is the president and professor of systematic theology and homiletics at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary and a pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dr. Beakey, welcome to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast.
0: Thank you, Rob. Glad to be with you.
1: In your book on Reformed Preaching, you talk about experiential preaching. So kind of give us an overview today. What is experiential preaching and how do we do it?
0: All right. Well, the best example I can use to illustrate it is something that happened to me when I was uh, released on my last day from active army duty. I was in the U.S. Reserves. Had a low lottery number in the last lottery year when I was a young man. And so I went into the Army Reserves. And the day I was released and I could be called back up into war, of course, for the next six years, the boss I had said to me, I hope that um, when you get called back up to fight in a war, you remember three things. Number one, you remember how. Fighting should go. You've been trained to fight, so you need to remember how it should go. Number two, you need to remember that wars never go the way they should go. They're bloody, they're messy. So you need to you need to learn to fight according to the realism of the situation. And then thirdly, you need to remember, He said, the end goal, the end goal is, of course, that you're fighting for your country. And I thought later about that definition, that threefold definition. I thought, you know, that's really a definition of experiential preaching. In experiential preaching, you are idealistic, you're realistic, and you're optimistic. You're idealistic because you say, I'm going to preach the way things should go in the life of a Christian. That's Romans 8. We're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. There's no condemnation. There's no separation. You need to preach that warmly, that that is the experience of God's people. And that's wonderful. That lifts them up. And they rejoice with joy unspeakable in heavenly places with Christ Jesus our Lord. That is idealistic preaching, how things should go in the Christian life. Secondly, you need to preach realistically the experience of God's people as well. That's Romans 7. The good that I would do, I find myself not doing. And the evil that I would not do, I find myself uh, doing. So wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? The, the realism of indwelling sin. I need the preacher to preach to me about that, and to spur me on to walk in the King's Highway of Holiness. And then thirdly, in experiential preaching, I need the preacher to talk to me about the end goal, the optimistic eschatological victory of the Christian life. I need to preach him to preach to me about what, what heaven is, my eternal home, Revelation 21, 22. I need to hear what my future will be in Christ forever, married to him in that land where there's no no evil, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, where all evil is walled out and all good is walled in forever. Praise be to God. So in experiential preaching, you're relating to the experience of the people of God as they hear idealistically, the way a Christian life should go, as they hear realistically the way the Christian life really does go in the bloody war against sin. And needs the preacher needs to relate optimistically to the Christian hearer about the end goal, that he's fighting for, for God's kingdom, and that one day he will be transferred from the church militant, the church military that's fighting on this earth, to the church triumphant where all war is over, and he's with his Lord, married to Jesus Christ forever and ever. Now, those three dimensions of experiential preaching must be applied to the soul and must also be discriminatorily preached. And what do I mean by that? Well, you take those three dimensions, and you say— I must, as a preacher, apply those things. So we call that applicatory preaching. So that the hearer understands Christianity is not just believing the outward truths of the Bible, but experiencing them idealistically, realistically, optimistically. So you apply that to people's lives and to their own soul's experience. But then you also discriminate. And you say things like this. You know, if you don't have these desires to serve the Lord, or if you don't battle with indwelling sin, or if you never hanker to be with Christ in glory, I'm afraid, my friend, you're not a Christian. So you separate the precious from the vile by the marks of grace, by the fruits of grace, so that you don't just say, well, Lord, if there's one person here that's unsaved today and you've got a congregation of 500 people in front of you, Uh, Please have mercy on him and save him. That's not discriminating. Those 500 people look around and say, I wonder who that one person could be who's so wicked he's not saved. And all the 499 of us are. No, no. You preach to the saved. You preach to the unsaved. You preach to the hardened. You preach to those who are impressed but unconverted. You preach to the backslider. You preach to the beginner in grace. You preach to the advanced in grace. Idealistically, realistically, optimistically, and you tell the unsaved that if they are not experiencing the doctrines of grace, they are unsaved and they need to repent and believe the gospel or soon it will be forever too late.
1: You mentioned doctrine and experience in that, or as you call it in the book, objective and Subjective. Why can't we separate? As many of our us preachers tend to do, we separate doctrine from experience. Why is that unacceptable?
0: Well, because it doesn't do what the Bible does. Does Paul separate those two? No. He's telling it. He's telling you. Uh, for example, let's just take one doctrine real quickly. Let's take the intercession of Christ. Now, here's a preacher who's going to preach it just to the head only. Uh, dear, dear church family, we have a We have a wonderful doctrine in the intercession of Christ because it means that Jesus is praying for you. Let that be your comfort. He's remembering you at the right hand of the Father. And it calls you to trust him. Do you trust him? Okay, that's good preaching. Now, here's an experiential preacher preaching that. Dear church family, We have this wonderful doctrine called the intercession of the saints. And Paul tells us that this doctrine becomes very real in the hearts and lives of God's people. In fact, he says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That means every every second, every tick of the clock, the Lord Jesus has the infinite capacity to remember every one of you true believers individually as if you were his only child, even as he remembers us corporately at the right hand of the Father. What a comfort this is. Have you ever come to the end of your own prayers? You felt their poverty, their weakness, and you, you could scarcely pray anymore. You could scarcely cry out the name, Lord, you're in so much need. You're overwhelmed with affliction. But then you turn to Jesus, thou art praying for me every single second. That's my hope. That's my strength. That's my faith. Praise be to God. I can go forward because I have a Savior who's remembering me every tick of the clock from moment to moment. Oh, how sweet this doctrine of the intercession of Christ is for a believer. First is to the head. Second is to the head and to the heart.
1: And on the the contrary, as we want to keep this in balance, there may be some who try to separate doctrine from experience Uh, and preach the doctrine, but why can't we be experience only in that regard?
0: Ah, yes. Well, all true experience flows from true doctrine. The Bible is filled with doctrine. You can't possibly preach a sermon, I, I mean a biblical sermon, without preaching doctrine, because experience flows out of truth. And so the problem when you get into experience only, I call that experientialism. That's very dangerous. And you get into a kind of unbiblical mysticism, And your salvation gets connected just with your feelings, and you lose the objective gospel, the promises of the gospel, which are the foundation of your salvation. And you end up just having things out out there in the air somewhere, and you depart from scriptural teaching inevitably. So that's a total disaster. But so is it a total disaster to preach only to the head and not to the heart.
1: So you you're we're talking about experiential preaching. Why does experiential preaching have to be the way we preach the gospel?
0: Because Jesus said by their fruit you shall know them. And you cannot be ratified in your Christian faith and you cannot grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ without having that knowledge penetrate the whole man. So Christianity is a religion that is vital for your whole man, not just your head and your hands, your your intellectual and your practical, but also for your heart. It ministers to the whole man. Out of the heart are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23 says. So preaching from the preacher's heart based on the Word of God to the hearer's heart it, it is foundational. Now, it's not the only kind of preaching. I, I've been saying all along here, a preaching needs to be biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical. You need all four. But the one that's missing in most preachers today is the experiential. And in all Reformation preachers, in the 16th and all Puritan preachers in the 17th century, you'll find that experiential element in all of them.
1: So what is the big difference between experiential and practical?
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of overlap there. But think of it this way experiential re- really goes into the individual Christian's heart and teaches him what he experiences and that he can resonate with it. Practical is more your daily outworking. So truth, the Puritan said, begins in the mind, then it penetrates the heart, and then it works itself out with hands and feet. Practical is more the hands and feet. Now there's some overlap there. But um, experiential would be Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, how can you tell if I hunger and thirst after righteousness? That's pretty hard because that's a pretty internal thing. But you will know by the fruits. Now, the, now the practical fruit is, blessed are they who are merciful, so, so they should, for they shall obtain mercy. There's a fruitful mark of grace. That you can see by my lifestyle if I'm a merciful man so that's more practical but again there's some overlap there yes but still there's a way to distinguish it
1: thank you dr vicky having you on the verse by verse Preaching Podcast has been a pleasant experience today. And we will close this segment with the lightning round in which we ask you three questions and if you wouldn't be so kind to answer them in a single sentence. Question number one, as our listeners are also gracious readers, hopefully, give us a preaching book recommendation that you yourself didn't write.
0: Well, I would recommend to you... A book called *Preaching and Preachers* by Sam Logan, that Sam Logan put together with Errol Hall, Sinclair Ferguson, a number of a number of people like that, it was published maybe 20 years ago. And that book has lots of uh, good chapters in, it, including a good chapter on experiential preaching by uh, Sinclair Ferguson.
1: All right. Question number two, what do you do for fun?
0: Well, I dabble a bit in politics, and I enjoy uh, watching how people lead exercise leadership. I enjoy golfing with my son.
1: All right, and this uh, third question, it is a doozy, I'll warn you. Uh, do you believe that a hot dog should be classified as a sandwich, and why or why not?
0: Uh, Rob, uh, I am stumped by your question. I'll, I'll bow to your wisdom. I think it's a half a sandwich, because when I grew up, my parents were not very well-to-do, and my parents would not allow us to have a complete hot dog. You had to cut it in half all the way through and put it on a bun. So we only had half sandwiches.
1: Thank you, Dr. Beaky, for joining us today on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast.
0: My my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. You can find us online at goversebyverse.com.